Good morning, church family. It is wonderful to see all of you here this morning and to be back in the pulpit today after a week off. Also, I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving last week because just like that church, we have gone from Thanksgiving right into the Christmas season. And thus, I wanted to thank everyone who came out to our Christmas tree lighting on Friday night for it was a wonderful time of food and fellowship and fire pits and so much more. So again, a big thank you to everyone who came out and who made this year's Christmas tree lighting such a special and wonderful event. Now as for our sermon today, this morning we'll be picking up right where Ricardo left off last week in the Gospel of Mark, as we will be finishing up chapter 2 today, believe it or not, and looking specifically at verses 23 through 28. And just as we have seen repeatedly, church, over the past three weeks, or really ever since we started in chapter 2, Jesus Christ, again today, is going to be at the center of some controversy. And I say that because if you can remember all the way back to when we started chapter 2, there was a confrontation that took place between Jesus Christ and that of the scribes. After Jesus said to a paralytic man in verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. Because as soon as Jesus Christ said that, well, the scribes, they began thinking to themselves, as verse 7 puts it, for why does this man Jesus speak like that? For he is blaspheming, for who can forgive sins but God alone? And then following this healing, the scribes of the Pharisees, they then rather bluntly confronted Jesus Christ in verse 16, this time concerning who Jesus Christ was eating with and associating with, and ultimately calling to himself, that being tax collectors and sinners. A practice, church, that these self-righteous, egotistical, and haughty Pharisees would never, ever do. And finally, as Ricardo touched on last week, Jesus Christ was again confronted in verse 18 by a group of people, very likely including that of the Pharisees, because unlike the Pharisees at this time, Jesus' disciples weren't fasting, or in essence weren't following or meeting the certain religious expectations of others. However, church, the controversies and the confrontations between Jesus Christ and the religious leaders of the day, well, they do not stop there. Because as we will see again today, Jesus Christ is once again confronted by these aforementioned Pharisees. However, this time, it doesn't revolve around Jesus' authority to forgive sins, nor around who Jesus hangs out with or his social calendar, nor around fasting or eating patterns. But instead today, it revolves around who is ultimately authoritative over the law and thus authoritative over the Sabbath, which takes us now, church, to our thesis statement this morning, or to the main theme of our sermon this morning, which is this, the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately possesses the authority to determine what is lawful and what is not, not that of man. The Lord Jesus Christ ultimately possesses the authority to determine what is lawful and what is not, 
not that of man. Therefore, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28. And if you are joining us today and do not own a Bible, then please feel free to grab and to keep one of our church Bibles, which are located in the chairs in front of you this morning. And the only thing we ask, if indeed you do take one, is that you read it, starting today by turning to page 838, and join us as we as a church body hear the Word of God together this morning. So again, we are in the Gospel of Mark this morning, church, and Lord willing, we'll be finishing up chapter 2 by looking specifically at verses 23 through 28, where John Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, One Sabbath, he, Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to him, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, how good it is to come into your presence today with our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church on your day, the Lord's day, so that we can worship you so that we can give glory to you, Father, on this day. Fellowship with each other. Build each other up in the unity of the faith together and find our rest this morning in you, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful opportunity we have. Let us not look past it at all. Father, I pray that your word this morning convicts us as well. Father, how easy it is to fall into the trap of allowing the world, our TV, the media, this, that, and the other to become authoritative over our lives, to dictate to us what is lawful and what is not. But it's only your Son, Jesus Christ, who is the one who possesses authority to tell us what is lawful and what is not. Convict our hearts this morning, Father, from your God-breathed word that you have given us. Father, I pray that you are glorified this morning through the preaching of your word. Lord, help my lisping, my stammering tongue this morning to deliver faithfully this word to your people. Lord, let me be humble. Let me be confident, not in any of my own abilities, but in the fact that it is your word, and let me deliver it truthfully to this dear flock, I pray, so that you and you alone be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, legalistic traditions do not rule over man nor over the Sabbath. Legalistic traditions do not rule over man nor over 
the Sabbath. Verses 23 and 24. Mark writes, One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So as we see in our text this morning, church, it is again a Sabbath day here, meaning the time period from Friday evening at sundown to Saturday evening at sundown, or the day that the Jews would set aside to worship their God, to worship the God of Israel. And not only that, church, but this is also very important for us to grasp from a contextual standpoint here, for the Sabbath was also a day where no work was to be done, since the Sabbath was a day of rest or a day that was to ultimately be made holy to the Lord, Exodus chapter 20. And it was on a Sabbath day, church, when Jesus and his disciples, verse 23, were walking through some grain fields. And as they were walking through said grain fields, Jesus' disciples, as we see in verse 23, began plucking the heads of some of the grain. Now, although the author, John Mark, doesn't give us very many details here, what we do know is that as they were walking, the antagonistic Pharisees, well, they were watching their every move, which in turn caused them to ask Jesus Christ in verse 24, For why are they, your disciples, doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? For why are they, your disciples, doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? To which you might be sitting there this morning thinking, okay, so these Pharisees must have seen here Jesus' disciples plucking grain and or taking grain that wasn't theirs, a.k.a. caught them in the act of stealing here, which is why the Pharisees here are making such a big deal about this, right? However, believe it or not, church, that was... Most definitely not the issue here. And I say that because according to the Mosaic Law, specifically from Deuteronomy chapter 23, if someone went into their neighbor's field, they were indeed allowed to pick kernels of grain with their hands. And thus, if Jesus' disciples here were not stealing, and if they were indeed allowed to pick grain with their hands from their neighbor's field, all according to the law of God, then what exactly is the issue here, you might be wondering? And the answer to that question, well, it comes to us in verse 24. And that according to the Pharisees, it was not lawful for them, Jesus' disciples, to pluck the heads of grain on the Sabbath. For that was the kicker here, church, because as Daniel Aiken explains, although the Jewish people knew that they were to abstain from work on the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, that being to keep the Sabbath, it was not overly precise as to what constituted as work and what didn't. Therefore, the religious leaders of the day built an elaborate wall of tradition around Sabbath observance in order to assure that it would not be violated. In essence, the religious leaders of the day, church, they made up a bunch of legalistic rules and regulations outside of the very law of God as a way to keep everyone from doing any type of work, if you will, on the Sabbath. And two of those rules and regulations that were made up by the religious leaders of the day concerning the Sabbath were, number one, 
that Jews were not allowed to walk more than 1,999 steps on the Sabbath, and number two, that Jews were not allowed to do any harvesting or reaping on the Sabbath. And thus, when the legalistic Pharisees saw Jesus Christ and his disciples out there walking very likely more than 1,999 steps, all while harvesting and reaping, well, in the eyes of the Pharisees, that was the double whammy, if you will, for breaking their man-made laws and commandments. Therefore, it seems fitting for us here, church, to briefly take a step back from the text and to consider for a second if there are any preferences that we might have this morning or any man-made traditions or standards that we might not only be holding too tightly onto, but also then projecting and hurling and placing onto others as well, standards, church, that are above and beyond what Scripture actually prescribes. Things like you can't have tattoos and be a real Christian, or you can't have all those piercings and be truly saved, or you can't read a certain Bible translation translation, wear certain clothes, stand for certain concerns, or even vote for certain people and still truly be part of the kingdom of God. Because to project and to hurl and to place your preferences, your traditions, and your quote-unquote religious standards onto others, standards, church, that are above and beyond what the Word of God actually says is to act no different than the legalistic, self-glorifying, and self-righteous Pharisees here, who in all honesty were way more concerned about looking the part than actually trying to live out the very commandments of God. For as Elizabeth Elliot noted in her book, The Liberty of Obedience, she wrote that there once was a man who said, I am earnest about forsaking the world and following Jesus Christ, but I am puzzled about worldly things. Therefore, what is it I must forsake? Colored clothes, for one thing, said a man, and get rid of anything in your wardrobe that is not white. Stop sleeping on soft pillows, sell your musical instruments, and don't eat any more white bread. Also, you cannot, if you are sincere about obeying Jesus Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard, because to shave is to lie against him who created you, to attempt to improve on his work." Now, does this answer sound absurd? Eliot writes, because it is the honest answer given to a student in one of the most celebrated Christian schools in the second century. And thus, it is possible that the rules that have been adopted by many 20th century Christians, or in our case, 21st century Christians, will sound just as absurd to earnest followers of Jesus Christ only a few years down the line. And thus, trust me when I say this, brother Christian, sister Christian, it is not your calling, nor is it your spiritual gifting to be the umpire or to be the referee here at Faith Bible Fellowship Church and to go around with your whistle and your flag and accuse people of sin whenever they don't live up to your man-made rules or regulations, meaning you have no right, Christian, to place any kind of yoke of slavery on your brother or sister in Christ on matters concerning how nice they must dress for church, how many children they should have, who they are voting for, what they are allowed to eat or drink, or whether they should have cable or not, Netflix or not, the internet or not, play cards or not, or dance or not, because 
for you to do so, Christian, is to act just like the Pharisees here by forcing your brothers and sisters in, in Christ to submit not to the law of God, but instead to your will, to your law, and ultimately to the preferences of man. And thus, as the children of God, as the redeemed, as those who have been cleansed by the blood of the land, lovingly let me exhort us all this morning, church, to not quarrel over traditions or to pass judgment on disputable matters or to despise one another on matters of indifference or preference. But instead, in all that we do, church, let us do it unto the Lord, since it is the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, who ultimately saved us and not the traditions of man. Which brings us to point number two. Jesus Christ is Lord over all, including over the law and the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is Lord over all, including over the law and the Sabbath. Verses 25 through 28. And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. <clears throat> so Jesus Christ, after being called out for allowing his disciples to do what was unlawful on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees, Jesus Christ, he responds here to the Pharisees in verse 25 by saying to them, have you never read what David did? David here being King David. When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him. Verse 26, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And what Jesus was referring to here, church, was the account of David from 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. And long story short here, King Saul, the king of Israel at the time, he wanted to kill David. So David, he takes off and runs away from King Saul. However, during this time, he naturally gets hungry and is in need. And thus, as we see in verse 26, David eventually then ends up at the house of God, a.k.a. at the tabernacle, and he and those who were with him, as verse 26 puts it, ate the bread of the presence, or the twelve loaves of consecrated bread that were at the tabernacle. Even though, church, verse 26, it was not lawful for them to do so, since only the priests were allowed to eat said bread. That according to Leviticus 24. <clears throat> and thus, as James Brooks explains it, for what Jesus Christ was saying here to the Pharisees was that human need should take precedent over the ceremonial law. And thus, Sabbath observance then should not and cannot be reduced merely to legalistic, ritualistic, or man-made Pharisaic restrictions. 
And Jesus Christ, he can make that claim, church, because he understands, verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Now make no mistake here, church, for Jesus Christ here, he is not minimizing the Sabbath, nor is he rejecting the Sabbath, nor is he ignoring or abolishing or putting an end to the Sabbath here. But instead, when Jesus Christ says in verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What he's saying is that the Sabbath wasn't created to be a burden to man or a day of pain or strain or drain for man, but instead the Sabbath was created to be a blessing for man, a day of rest for man, a day of refreshment for man, a day of freedom and peace and joy for man. And Jesus Christ, he can make that claim, church, and offer that interpretation and boldly pronounce that declaration directly to the Pharisees here because Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, he is, verse 28, Lord of the Sabbath. And please do not miss the weightiness of this moment here, church, because it is in essence Jesus Christ declaring to the Pharisees or to those who thought that they were the ones who had the authority to rule and to govern and to dictate what was lawful on the Sabbath and what was not, that he, Jesus Christ, is the one who is authoritative over all. Because he, Jesus Christ, is, verse 28, the Son of Man, as in the one from heaven heaven who dominion and glory and a kingdom has been given to Daniel chapter 7 and also because he Jesus Christ in verse 28 is Lord of the Sabbath meaning to paraphrase R.C. Sproul here that since Jesus Christ is the one who made all things including that of the Sabbath Jesus Christ then is the one who possesses the authority to rule over the Sabbath not that of the Pharisees church and thus if Jesus Christ says that it's okay to pluck rain on the Sabbath church, then it's okay. And if Jesus Christ says that it's okay to heal Simon's mother-in-law on the Sabbath, then it is okay. And if Jesus Christ says it's okay to heal a blind man on the Sabbath, to heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath, a woman with a disabling spirit on the Sabbath, or even an invalid at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath, then it must be 100%, no doubt about it, okay because it is Jesus Christ who is the Son of Man, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Creator of the world, and the Lord of all, and not that of the Pharisees, nor the traditions of man. And thus, as we close this morning, church, I want to begin with the non-Christian who was here first, by sharing with you, non-Christian, that If you are sitting there this morning trusting in some tradition or some self-righteous work or some religious deeds that you did in the past in order to save you, then I am here to tell you in love this morning, non-Christian, that your traditions and your works and your acts of self-righteousness, they cannot and they will not save you. And I say that because only the Son of Man, non-Christian, only the Son of God, only the Lord of the Sabbath and the Lord of all Jesus Christ possesses the authority to save sinners from their sins. Since it was Jesus Christ and Christ alone, non-Christian, who came 
came into this world as truly God and as truly man in order to fulfill all righteousness and to live for you, non-Christian, the life that you could never live, that being a life that was sinless and righteous and holy and good, thereby perfectly and completely living out without offense, non-Christian, the law of God for the children of God. However, non-Christian, not only did Jesus Christ keep perfectly the law of God for the children of God, but he also willingly then paid the debt that the children of God could not pay, meaning that since the wage of sin is death, or that since the cost of sin or the price of sin is that of death, Jesus Christ then willingly took our sins upon himself, non-Christian, and was crucified and crushed and killed on a cross at Calvary on our behalf as the sacrifice for our very sins. But you know what, non-Christian? Being that Jesus Christ never sinned, and being that he was indeed perfect and sinless and flawless, his sacrificial work on that cross at Calvary, it appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. Therefore, three days later, non-Christian Jesus Christ, he did not stay dead or buried in some grave, no, but instead, three days later, Jesus Christ, he rose from the grave, and he defeated sin and destroyed eternal death once and for all, and now offers eternal life to all who place their trust in him. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin, and can clothe you then in his perfect life and reconcile you back back to God forever. For there is only one way to the Father, non-Christian, and it is through his Son, Jesus Christ. Not through your works, your preferences, your acts of righteousness, or your deeds, but only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you repent of your sins and place your faith in Jesus Christ. And today will be the day I can promise you that you will be forgiven of your sins and given the gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, I realize at this time you might be sitting there wondering, okay, so as members of a church that affirms the Lord's Day or that holds to the belief that the first day of the week, Sunday, ought to be observed by all believers, voluntary and in love, as a day set apart as holy to the Lord. That according to Article 21 in our BFC Articles of Faith, how then does this text today impact what we as Christians should or shouldn't be doing on the Lord's Day or on a Sunday in order to observe it properly? However, I want you to realize 
And to grasp here, Christian, that this text, it is so much bigger than just that. And thus, because of that, as David Garland writes, one should be cautious in using this text to define exactly what is permissible or impermissible for a Christian on a Sunday. Because the controversies over the Sabbath here, they are intended to affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord of the law. And thus, when Jesus Christ says that he is Lord of the Sabbath, What he's making clear to the Pharisees here, church, is that I, Jesus Christ, am the one who is sovereign over the law, and that I am the one who ultimately determines what is good and what is bad, what is just and what is unjust, what is God-pleasing and what is sin, and what interpretations of the law are true, and what interpretations of the law are simply that of man-made poppycock. And that, church, really is here the great drama that is taking place between that of Jesus Christ and the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees here, they now have a decision to make. For do they decide to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the Son of Man, as the Lord of the Sabbath and the Lord of the law, or do they reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ and continue to see themselves as the one who are authoritative over the interpretation and the application of the law? And thus, as we close and leave here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, I think it would be profitable if we let that very same question confront us as well this morning. That question being, for who ultimately possesses the authority over your life, Christian? Over your morality, Christian? Over your work week, Christian? Over your spending habits, Christian? Your free time, Christian? Or even over the Lord's day, Christian? And I ask that because I know that there are a lot of self-professing Christians out there today who do not bat an eye at that question. And without thinking, they will just instantly cry out that, yes, Jesus Christ is authoritative over every area of my life, while in practice they would much rather simply make up their own religious commandments, follow their own religious beliefs, cut and paste their own concepts of the truth together, and ultimately allow themselves and not Jesus Christ to be authoritative over how they live their lives. However, Jesus Christ, Christian, he does not give me or you or the Pharisees or any other person out there that option because Jesus Christ is either Lord over every area of your life or he is not your Lord. Meaning for you to believe that you can just add to what Jesus says, take away from what Jesus says, rewrite what Jesus says, or only follow what you like that Jesus says, that is to play the role of the Pharisees here and to submit to yourself and not to Jesus Christ. And thus, in all honesty, Christian, when you hear Jesus Christ say that he is teacher and Lord, John 13, the way, the truth, and the life, John chapter 14, and that all authority has been given to him on earth and in heaven, Matthew chapter 28, do you simply then walk by faith in that and follow his commandments, submit to his ways, do what he calls you to do, go where he wants you to go, and desire to only pattern your life after him and him alone? Or do you foolishly instead allow your traditions, 
or your preferences or your feelings or pride, power, desires, the media, the world, the sages of this age to determine for you, church, how you should live your life above and beyond the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And thus we must be diligent, church, to fight against this urge of seeing ourselves as little lords who possess the authority to rule over our own lives and instead grasp the fact that we are not our own, that we have been bought with a price, and that our heart now has the law of God written on it, and thus we now, Christian, belong to Jesus Christ. Therefore, joyfully then, Christian, place every area of your life under the authority and the eternal lordship of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ, since his yoke is easy, his burden is light, light, and because there is life in his name, unlike the traditions of man. Thus it is my prayer, Father, that we as a church body do not fall into the trap of believing that we are little lords over our own lives and that somehow we have the authority to determine what is right and just and good. But instead, as we are confronted this morning by the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord and authoritative over all, let his lordship then, Father, drive us to repent where we need to repent and to submit to him where we still need to submit. Since we know, Father, that our own merit, it will not save us, nor will our preferences, traditions, wisdom, rules, our pride. Thus keep us, Father, from submitting any area of our lives to anyone or anything other than your Son. And by your grace, Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts forevermore be that Jesus Christ and Christ alone is Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, give us the grace we need to submit to your Son on every level that we can. Father, as we are confronted by the text this morning, all that is running through my mind are the ways that I have not submitted to Christ, that I have run to the world, that I have run to secular psychology, I have run to sociology, I have run to this, that, and the other to inform my morality, my worldviews, my thoughts, what is good, bad, and indifferent. And Father, I need to repent What Christ says goes. He created the world. He created the Sabbath. He created everything. All things were made through him and was not anything made that was made without him. It is his domain. It is his rule. It is his kingdom. He is the only one that gets to provide the interpretations that we live our lives by. Father, if we are taking anything away from the, the the word that you have given us, if we are adding anything to it, if we are looking to the media to inform us, Father, convict us this morning, I pray, and let us instead run to Jesus Christ, the one whose yoke is light. There is freedom in Christ. There is grace in Christ. There is life in his name. Let us run to Christ above all else. Thank you for your son, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.